0: Before we start our podcast, a lot of you have been listening to Swisspreneur for inspiration on your own entrepreneurial journey. And I want to tell you about a great opportunity to get non-dilutive funding and coaching for your startup. If you have an innovative business idea, consider joining Venture. They're Switzerland's leading startup competition, and every year they award over 500,000 Swiss francs in cash prizes, McKinsey & Company business consulting packages, and an amazing mentorship program. Submit your free application by March 3rd on venture.ch.
1: I believe that you can have a stronger company culture in a remote setting than in a classical in-office setting.
0: Welcome to the SwissPreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Selvin. Ivan, a very well welcome to the SwissPreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today.
1: Yes, super excited. Thanks for
0: having me. You're the co founder and CEO at DeskBird, a people centric solution for a hybrid workspace. And before we talk about your solution, we want to start with your personal background. You actually have a background in economics and also worked for a number of banks and consulting companies before you then joined the entrepreneurial world. So I wonder what about the corporate environment just didn't fit with you? Why do you want to leave the safe harbor, so to speak?
1: (laughs) Very good question. Uh, Actually, I felt this urge of doing something on my own and starting an own venture quite early. Uh, it was already, while I was studying, we did a couple of very funny things such as uh, doing donuts, for example, cooking donuts and trying to sell them uh, among our neighbor, neighbors, for example. This was, I think I was eight years old. A bit later, we, we started an, an online shop for, for soccer t-shirts, for example, where, where kind of the whole e-commerce was still at the very, very beginning and it was not so easy to set up an online shop. Uh, but it was always just like side projects. Uh, the, the focus was uh, at uni and, you know, having a good educational background. Uh, but I always felt also when I started at, at BCG, for example, after my studies, I always felt that uh, this was not be the the long-term journey. This was just like something in between, something that I want to use as kind of really as a, as a jump, jumping point to really start my own, start my own venture. Uh, and then it felt just the right timing after two years of, of consulting to start my own thing.
0: So you, you've basically always been an entrepreneur by heart, so to speak, with all these projects at the <laughs> beginning, at the early ages. Did you have any role model or anyone who has inspired you to become an entrepreneur? Did you have any entrepreneurs in your family? Actually,
1: not not in my family. My family was more kind of uh, originally from Italy. So my, my, my parents, grandparents were traditional uh, migrants to Switzerland. Uh, and, and more kind of the, the regular workers if you if you want. Uh, but I had some, some role models actually when I was studying. I, I was working as a, as a student at the Wegelin, which was a private bank. It doesn't sound entrepreneurial at all. <laughs> However, the story of Wegelin was quite interesting because it was basically two uh, bankers, two people, entrepreneurs, that basically acquired the majority of the bank back, back in the 90s. Uh, so in the 1990s, they both worked at corporate banks before and they took the risk of you know going into a very small bank i think they had 30 employees back then Uh, and then they had an incredible growth over the next couple of uh, decades basically so they've grown to six or seven hundred employees and i was at least in the end i was part of it and this was it was really inspiring seeing those basically two entrepreneurs that really had took the risk in the beginning in the 90s to just like acquire this this bank with 30 employees then growing it and making it a hugely successful business, and this is where I said, "Okay, this is this is pretty cool." And uh, yeah, in the future, I I, <laughs> I want to try something similar.
0: And so you did actually. Then in 2020, you actually founded Deskbird together with your co-founder Jonas. How did you actually meet each other? How did that happen?
1: We met at uh, in Munich when we we both started at the same consulting company at bcg so we basically had the same starting date and we felt a pretty good personal fit from the from the beginning Uh, we never did a project together actually so professionally we could not kind of judge each other but we felt like uh, during all those like uh, events social events uh, that you have in those companies like i don't know going to bars like having dinners together with, with with your teammates we just felt a good fit and said okay we both have this entrepreneurial drive and then it was somehow clear that we we want to try something together, uh, in in somewhere in the future.
0: So then it was more the the personal fit, the value split probably also, um, where you say, hey, we have a good alignment here, and now let's see if uh, that personal fit is also a professional fit.
1: Yes, totally. Actually, it was only the personal fit, and and I would say that this is also the most important thing because, like, having a co-founder is like. I'm not the first person saying that, but it's like having being in a marriage. Uh, you, I mean, probably you see you see your spouse uh, less time than you see your co-founder in most of the cases. So it needs to be a very good personal fit.
0: Absolutely. And did you do any additional tests to also accommodate for the professional fit? Did you then, you know, start small or do any professional testing together to see if you're not only a personal but also professional fit? <laughs>
1: I think we skipped this part. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just jumped right into the, the cold water. <laughs> it,
1: exactly. We, we, we felt that we had both like this, this, a very similar ambition, a similar work ethos. Uh, and then I think it's a good fit. And if you have the same vision and the same like ambition, same hunger also, then usually you can't be wrong.
0: Right. And how do you actually split the roles? Do you have your clear focus areas that you split amongst each other or how, or how do you do that?
1: Yes, totally. We are we are fully split and kind of all. I mean, it's it's fully also trust based and and uh, we don't even talk so much uh, like on, on a daily basis because everyone has his kind of areas of responsibilities and it's very simple. So Jonas is doing the tech part of things basically, all that is tech related. And I'm doing the business part of things, and then there is a third a third area which is operations, uh, and this is something that we we just split among each other. We just look at okay, look who has a bit more time, and we just take take over things and and try to do them. Uh, for example, recruiting is something that we split also. Uh, obviously, for my areas, I, I I'm in the lead for recruiting. For his areas, he's more in the lead for recruiting.
0: Perfect. Yeah, that seems like a, a good split. Now. You actually organize hybrid work. So maybe I also wonder, you know, how do you actually come up with uh, that problem that you want to solve there? Did you have any personal experiences where you said, here's a big problem that I experienced myself, so now I want to build a company around it? Or how was the idea around Deskbird actually born?
1: That's, that's also, let's say, it, it has been a bit of a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, Why Why I'm saying that is that we actually started out with something slightly different. Uh, we, we, we knew from the beginning that we wanted to shape this new way of working that has been accelerated with, by COVID. Uh, we knew that this, this, was, this was our bet, that there will be a huge disruption on the, in the workplace, basically. However, how we started was a bit different as we, we thought, or, or we still, to some extent we still believe, that companies will use co-working spaces at some point as, as they're now downsizing their office space as, as a reaction to the pandemic mm-hmm. and then we our original model which we don't have anymore but which was our starting point was having a co-working marketplace for b2b basically just like trying to offer companies such as credit Suisse or alliance trying to offer them like co-working passes that their employees can use such as like fringe benefits such as a gym a gym access or something like that uh, and then we talked to a lot Uh, We we kind of talked to hundreds of of companies and also obviously tried to test the idea. We realized that the actual problem was not this. It was a different one. The actual problem is that all those companies, they're now having people in their home office and alternating between office and home office. And many companies are introducing flex desks in their own office because Mm -hmm. they realized, okay, my employees will be in the office just uh, two or three days a week. Uh, and this was basically the the, the really crucial moment where we, we decided to say, okay, this is what really companies need us, and where we can really kind of add add uh, create uh, create value, add value. Uh, and this is where we also pivoted the business model. So we went from a, a purely co-working, uh, purely marketplace model to a complete soft, software as a service business model. Uh, this is, I think, this is quite interesting, and this also, however, this has uh, this has been very important in our. In our history.
0: That's very fascinating. So first of all, that you actually made that pivot happening. And I also wonder, you mentioned the more than 100 conversations that you held with potential clients. Did you use any structured approach to gather their feedback? Because I think that's so crucial. But at the same time, people sometimes also really struggle with, okay, I talked to so many people, but everybody tells me something a bit different. So how do you actually then find out what they want and what I should build with my company? So how did you build the structure in those feedback conversations to then lead to the conclusion that you need to change your your offering basically
1: so how we we approached it is that i i think this is this is something that that we also had to learn this is really important so the best feedback you get is actually when you push customers or potential customers to sign a contract with you or to, to basically you know to to send you money because this is the real proof. So, I mean, you yeah. can do a lot of interviews, you can do a lot of research and many companies would tell you like, or many customers, interview partners would tell you, Oh, that's a nice thing. Yes, I'm interested. Uh, let's, let's stay in touch and, and something, but this is not the real proof. So the, the real proof is really like when, when you, once you send an invoice to a customer, what happens then? <laughs> so is it really paying for it or is he kind of postponing? And
0: right.
1: I mean, it sounds, it sounds a bit like very simple, but this is what we did in the end. So we, before we had like already the fully productive uh, solution, we already like we we went to customers and we had obviously we had some screens, we had some nice presentations, uh, kind of product so, uh, product overviews, and we tried to pitch it and we tried already to convince customers. And we saw okay, this is really something that is working. Uh, we had landing pages, we got a lot of a lot of traffic, a lot of conversions on the website, uh, and this is where we felt okay, this is something bigger that, that 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 we are working on. And for us, this was actually the best proof and. and then it was very clear for us to say, okay, look, we have su- such, a, such a big demand. We have signed contracts already before having the product ready. So this yeah. must be the direction.
0: <laughs> That's the beauty of B2B sales, right? That you can already get contracts up and running already yeah. before you actually have a product uh, launch. That's wonderful to validate your idea. Agree. How, how were you actually spending your time? You know, Were you working full-time on the idea validation part already? Or did you do that part-time besides your, your job?
1: We uh, it, the first model was was part time, so the the co working marketplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, it was more B two C actually, so we were targeting end customers. So we could not test so much in the beginning. I mean, all customers would tell you yes, it's interesting and they want to use it, but the real test is always like then seeing the engagement in the uh, of the solution.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and then with the pivot, we were already full time. We had a team of ten people already, I think, or even even fifteen people uh, that we kind okay. of slowly recruited over the, over the last months with the Cobra King marketplace model. Uh, and then it was I mean we, we, are, we were all in already, so all stakes, <laughs> high stakes uh, so it, it had to be a good decision and yeah fortunately it was.
0: Do you think that you know going all in and really dedicating your full time to that venture that this also sort of gives you a different mindset that you then actually you have to find a solution, a product that is working, which you might not find or push that hard if you do it part time besides your job. <laughs> uh,
1: yes, that's that's not an easy question. Uh, for us, it it's, it seems as, as it's working out, uh, but it's also it, it can also be obviously it can also be hard uh, in some times. So if you like, uh, if you have a team like already, or like if you're really kind of bootstrapped then you don't pay yourself a salary, and uh, but you have employees and you kind of. Didn't yet hit this kind of product market fit stage, then this can be also emotionally can be dragging quite a bit. So I don't know if 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 I if I if I had children, if I would suggest them to to do it really kind of just go in and just do it and and you find something. <laughs> but uh, no no clear answer to that. Certainly, if you if you are all in and you've, you're you committed, the likelihood that you find something is is certainly is, is, is higher. That's that's for sure. Uh, so. Yeah, for us,
0: it worked out. It's higher, but there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee, yes. (laughs) So then, now you found the right business model, the right product or service, better said, to offer. And then, of course, the next challenge is already around the corner. How do you acquire new clients? So, of course, you had your feedback conversations. You already signed the first contracts there. But then that was just the beginning. Of course you still have to win new clients every day basically. So how do you go about that? How do you do and close B2B deals?
1: So we we were lucky that we we were taking advantage of inbound leads from from the very beginning. So we had we still have a lot of a lot of inbound leads coming in. And this makes it for us it makes 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 it easier to to close deals. Uh, as we don't have to go through this education phase. So we don't yeah. have to educate the customer that he actually has a problem, but customers in our business model, customers often come to us and say, look, I have the problem, I have a budget, so show me that you are the best solution, basically. And then it's it's easier to close deals, we have shorter sales cycles. Uh, and also what's interesting is that many companies are currently in, in a need, also sometimes in a rush to find a solution because they realize, oh, people are coming back to the office and now we are working hybrid and we don't have a solution yet so let's let's yeah. hurry to find uh, to find something and this is something that fortunately has not been uh, such such an issue for us uh, obviously we also have we would say a, a very strong solution in terms of UX so we have basically built a, a solution that is in terms of user experience is kind of like a b2c app so it's really kind of very user friendly it's it's optimized for conversion. Uh, and basically apply to B2B contacts. So usually when B2B deciders see our mobile app or our solution, they just say, wow, that's that's the best they, they've seen on the market. That's so nice. I want my employees to use this app and, and
0: no other app. Amazing. And I think having that many inbound leads, as you just described, that's also another really strong validation that customers really need what you're actually offering. So I think that's the yeah the perfect position to be in. At the same time, I also wonder, these inbound leads, how much were they triggered by COVID? Of course, we have a very special situation already more than two years now. Um, how, what effect did that have on your business? Do you think that this is a huge boost for your business? Or do you think that this will also continue to be that way without COVID or once COVID is, is gone, hopefully?
1: Yeah. Actually, we have been asked this question a lot. So if, if our business model is only covid related thing uh, and and no long-term thing but i think the best proof that we have is that we have actually have the biggest customers we have they all signed multi-year contracts with us so we have uh, customers that signed two three or even four-year contracts with us from the very beginning so meaning that they really plan for this to be here not only during COVID but uh, a long time after as well and actually we even see that Comp- all the companies that we get, they just think about the time after COVID. So it's not. We I think we have no customer that just looks for something during the time of the pandemic. Because if it's something temporary, then companies usually they, they find workarounds with Excel spreadsheets, like organizing it in, in a very simple way. They don't want to. They want. They don't want to spend money. Our customers, they really already kind of they are leaders in the hybrid journey, and they want to have a solution that also increases employee engagement. They want to offer their employees a very nice experience because they know, hey, I, my employees won't have their own dedicated desk anymore, so we are reducing office space. But then at least I want to offer them a very nice solution, a very nice app, how they can easily book desks in the office, how they can easily collaborate with their, with their peers when they come to the office.
0: That's amazing. I mean, on top of the inbound leads that you get to have multi-year contracts, that's, yeah, A very, very sweet business to be in and to build. So now once you've actually been, you know, acquired the first customers, you also realize although being a Swiss startup, the Swiss market is probably too small for the scope and also the size of your potential business. So how do you solve the the issue or the challenge of going international as a Swiss startup?
1: Yeah, that's fortunately we have one big advantage in scaling internationally Mm -hmm. And, and disadvantage is that we don't have any regulatory barriers with our solution. So it's not, for example, like HR software where it's like very country it's, has very specific regulatory requirements. So we don't have it. We can use our solution in Denmark, in Spain, in Germany, in Switzerland. It's basically the same. It's the same problems. So for us, this has this is an advantage actually. And we have from the very beginning, we have thought we we are thinking very. On a global scale so we don't want this to be only a swiss business actually uh we i think we have 20 or 30 percent of our customers are in switzerland the the other 70 to 80 percent are actually in in europe and even beyond so we also have customers in the us and canada for example so we we have started this international expansion already quite early
0: fantastic again very impressive and uh, a very good position to be in so you also actually experience building a company culture yourself, um, because you have the remote or hybrid approach yourself. Obviously, you need to also walk the talk, right? So I was also wondering if you can share any best practices with us about how to actually build a company culture from scratch as a fast-growing Swiss startup.
1: So I'm I'm quite extreme in this in, in this regards. As first of all, I believe that. You can have a stronger company culture in a remote setting than in a classical in-office setting. And the, the reason it's a bit like it, it depends if you are managing if you are managing the culture actively and you're doing things to build culture. If you do that, then I believe that as I said, I believe that a hybrid or a remote setting can have a stronger culture than just a regular in-office setting. It's a bit like relationships like sometimes you have relationships where you kind of see each other like all the time somehow but everyone is doing like something on a smartphone or doing something else Mm -hmm. Uh, i wouldn't say that this is a better relationship than couples that see each other not that often maybe just like twice a week but when they see each other they do something together very deliberately and this is exactly how we work as a company as a remote uh, remote first company is that we know that we don't have these you know informal coffee chats like uh, on on the hallways in the, in the office we don't have it but we have very conscious events that we organize so for example we have uh, at least once a month we try to do a, an online event this can be an, an online wine tasting this can be a cocktail uh, cocktail course uh, we do just it can be cooking course like we do we have done many of those events we even have done sports together virtually uh, and on top of that, we also organized summits where we where we meet together physically. Uh, we we try to do it twice a year. So the last time it was a summit in Croatia, where we met all together. Actually, we were already twenty people, and most of us saw each other for the first time in person. But we've been we've been collaborating with each other like for, for for months already before that. And it was amazing how everything went, and people were so happy. It was such a fit, uh, also seeing each other in person. It was super smooth from going from virtual collaboration to seeing each other in person it was super smooth and we didn't feel any kind of disruption and that's why i believe that if you if you manage to to manage culture very consciously then you can have a very strong culture even in, in a remote setting
0: very nice so i think if i understood your take or your claim uh, correctly you basically say By being remote or hybrid, you need to automatically invest so much more effort to actually make those cultural events and things happen, while in a physical environment, you are just there together, but it might not be the top quality time. And then you think, oh, that's already the culture part, so you don't put any effort into it.
1: Exactly. Perfectly summarized.
0: (laughs) Nice. And, you know, you're active in the SaaS, in the software as a service uh, industry, and there, what we see now recently is there is a big war for talent. Everybody wants to have the best people, the most talented and skilled people uh, on their teams, obviously. So I wonder, how do you also differentiate yourself or compete with the other startups and companies in that field to attract the right talent for Deskbird?
1: So one, one important thing, and this relates to the, first, the question before. So one important thing is that as a remote first company you have a much bigger talent pool. So we have we were lucky <laughs> to really get really talented people uh like from developers to to uh, people on the business side and one reason was that we were hiring globally already from the very beginning and this allowed us really like to to find super talented super ambitious super hungry people uh and this was a huge advantage actually. But we see the war for talent. And interestingly, we, we see both on the tech side, but, but also surprisingly on the, on the sales side, actually. So now, for example, we are looking for sales talent that can help us scale across Europe. And it's really hard to find good salespeople, good people to, to, who want to drive B2B SaaS sales because the market is super competitive. So you have many SaaS companies. That hire like hundreds of, try to find hundreds of salespeople uh, because they're also well funded. Uh, and that's also quite a war for talent for salespeople.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That certainly is a challenge. But I think you're not alone there. Many other companies and startups face the same challenge. So everybody plays the, with equal cards, yeah. more or less. And talking about fundraising, you also raised capital, 1.3 million seed round with Session VC. So I imagine with your track record, with the traction that you already built, that must have been pretty easy for you to raise the, the seed money. Was it or was it more difficult than we imagine from the outside?
1: Usually it's always not as easy as it looks like from the outside. Uh, this is this is for sure. Generally speaking, currently there is a lot of money in the market. For I mean, there is a lot of VC money in the market. So VCs are investing a lot of money. Uh, but i think it's important as a founder that you also look actively for investors that you want to collaborate with because money is not just money uh, you also it comes with something and in the best case it comes with a lot of expertise with a lot of good support with a lot of hands-on support from investors that's why also we we were very happy with with session that because we we, uh, we really like the collaboration with them so far the super hands-on very really smart a lot of uh, a great network as well so it's a, it's a lot of fun uh, but in the end, it's it's never easy because those investors usually also have a lot of opportunities to invest in. And uh, in our case, certainly the questions were around the market. I mean, the market is big, the market is attractive, but it's also competitive. So obviously, those investors want to ensure that they invest into the into the right into the right startups that can actually grab the market and and win it over.
0: Absolutely. And what will the funds actually be used for? I'm I'm sure you have some very specific plans. What you're going to do with the money that you t- that you raised there?
1: Yes, I mean one thing is the product. So this product still needs. Uh, we we want to become more multi-platform. This means that we just now we just completed the Microsoft Teams app, meaning that now we are really multi-platform solution. You can use Desperate on mobile app. You can use it on the web, but you can even use it within Microsoft Teams as an app. So this, this makes a huge difference, and obviously this uh, needs, needs some de- uh, development effort to do it. Uh, this is one thing for the development of the product. We also have a, a new module coming, which is called ske- hybrid scheduling. Uh, it's a very interesting feature that actually allows you as an employee to see who will be in the office on which days and also plan your days in the office accordingly. So if you can see, okay, Silvan is in the office next Tuesday and Thursday. So with one click, I can also say, okay, then I also want to join him and go to the office. Basically, this is a complete new module that can work as an add-on to the to the desk booking. Uh, this is something that we need the money for, but also for the expansion on the on the business side. So we are we are now building up uh, the the, sa- the sales team. We have the first full-time sales employees that we uh, we to start with us and keep keep expanding, basically on the, also the business team. Amazing. And very important, we also have to organize the next physical summit, also in looking at the at company culture. Uh, so this also will, will need some money.
0: A hundred percent, yeah. That's the important part of then hiring and finding the right talent, certainly. So maybe this is a, a bit a, a weird follow-up question, but just a use cra- uh, case with the hybrid scheduling that you described. Um, I wonder, you know, from my perspective. Again, that's the very outside perspective. But I could imagine that the larger companies, um, they mainly use probably Outlook as their tool or they are around in the Microsoft world. And then, of course, they have the Outlook calendar. So why would they need an additional scheduling tool and don't just write in their calendar when they will be in the office and when not?
1: Yes, good question. (laughs) It's a a matter of user experience. So we make it much easier to see your colleagues, for example, because in Outlook you would need to open the calendars of all your colleagues, basically, and you would—it's it's very cumbersome to have this overview. Uh, so one thing is really user experience. So you can, with, with our mobile app, you can just see it at one glance, and even within Microsoft Teams, you can directly see, hey, look, Sylvan is in the office those days. This is are his plans. You could even see where you're sitting. So if you have both modules, nice. you could see when he's in the office, he's sitting in the marketing area and being on desk three, for example. You can easily join uh, on, on desk four if I want. Uh, and the second thing is that also integrations. So what we are planning to do is also that we will also inter- integrate with HR tools. And um, for example, we will be able to To feed vacation, for example, if we know that someone is on vacation for the next three weeks, then we can feed this information and they will directly see: okay, Silvan, he won't be in the office anyway the next three weeks So, uh, because I, I get the information from HR, from the HR suite.
0: Yeah, so that makes sense. Then you have not only a way better user experience, but in the end also a way more efficient process of actually working and collaborating effectively and efficiently together.
1: Totally. And, and that's the point also, what, what's important in our solution is not, we're not just desk booking, but really we are a tool to foster collaboration in a hybrid setting.
0: Yeah, and that's a whole different level compared to uh, just having another booking tool. Absolutely agree. So now if we look at your numbers, so you launched in 2020, uh, you already have more than 10,000 users, among which are WeFox and Amazon, for example, so it's easy to predict a very sunny future and a bright future for you and Deskbird. But what do you think will be the next big challenges that you face and have to overcome to really make it to that next level or milestone?
1: Yes, now it's uh, it's about scaling, obviously. So we need to scale both uh, in terms of financing. So we we are already basically after financing round, is before the financing <laughs> yeah, round. So yeah. we are already preparing the, the next round, which will be in summer 2022, basically summer this year. Uh, this will be one big challenge that uh, this will obviously allow us to accelerate further. Uh, second thing is building up a sales organization. So we know that the market is competitive. So one important important aspect to win the market is really having the best sales organization that can do sales in Spain, can do sales in, Fran- in, in France, can do sales in different countries across Europe, also knowing the cultural differences, the, the, the small details that often make the make difference between winning or losing a pitch. Uh, and then as a last thing is also on the product side, we want to grow into a workplace platform. So as of today, we are still quite a feature heavy business. So we have this this, this feature, but but we wanna add features or even modules to the workplace platform. So things that we, we are already planning for is for example, that you can have meeting room displays as well, or, or you can have kiosk systems where you can see, let's say you're you working for Swisscom, you go to the Swisscom office, you have a, a big monitor where you can see, okay, Silvan is sitting in this area today. So you can either book by a mobile or you can book on the kiosk directly and say, oh, okay, I want to sit next to him uh, because we need to discuss something. These are a couple of things that, that we are – how we are planning to expand the, the product. And this will also obviously be a big challenge to, to build a very scalable product that is uh, that is a workplace platform in the end.
0: Absolutely. So certainly a very exciting future ahead of you, I would say. <laughs> We hope so. So to wrap up today's episode, we have some rapid fire questions for you. So basically I either give you different options to choose from or a simple question and you have to answer in one sentence. Are you ready? Ready. Remote most of the time or in office most of the time?
1: Remote.
0: Easy choice for you. How do you recover and (laughs) recharge personally?
1: Not enough probably
0: <laughs> <laughs> but if you do it what do you do what helps you there
1: sports actually sports uh, and reading books actually also helps a lot in really changing your mind and yeah
0: now, do you read business books or fiction books
1: I tend to read business books even though my girlfriend uh, always says that I should I should start reading more fiction books because it's better to actually uh, really recover so I, I'm one big resolution for 2022 is reading more fiction books. Let's see if I, I make it.
0: Perfect. We'll <laughs> we'll catch up again in 12 months, okay? Okay. Solving your own problem, yes or no?
1: Now that we are growing, yes. So we have not started with that, but as we're growing, uh, we're actually using Desperate as well for our company.
0: Nice. Perfect. Where do you actually go to think if you have a tough challenge or a tough cookie to crack?
1: Just for a walk outside.
0: Nice. And the last one for you, if you were not an entrepreneur, what would you be doing nowadays?
1: (laughs) I don't want to imagine that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Probably, I don't know, maybe working for a VC company, trying to stay close to the startup scene. But I like this uh, this side of things better.
0: So you're in the perfect sweet spot then right now. <laughs> yeah. So Ivan, I hope so. yeah, Ivan, thank you so much for joining us. That was really a lot of fun, and I think you delivered many cool insights to think about and maybe to even apply to our own businesses. So thank you so much for being on the show today, and we wish you lots of success. And are really excited to see what you're building with Deskbird. Yeah,
1: super cool. It was so fun being here. Thanks for having me, and yeah.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.